Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Millennial Love, a podcast from the independent on everything to do with love, sexuality, identity, and more. This week, I am so excited to be joined by Intimacy Coordinator, Ita O'Brien. Ita is one of the leading people in this field in the UK, having worked on shows such as Sex Education, I May Destroy You, and Normal People. It's her job to develop the best practice for working on sex and intimate scenes on screen. And I cannot wait to find out a little bit more about what she does and why it's so important and what the industry was like before without the role of intimacy coordinators, which is still fairly new. So let's get into it. Hello, Ita, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm so excited to find out more about what it is that you do. I know I gave a brief introduction there, but can you just explain a bit more about what your role is and how it works? So the role of the intimacy coordinator is a practitioner that just basically brings a professional process to the intimate content, just like a choreographer would do if you're going to choreograph a waltz or a tango, or a stunt coordinator would if you're going to do a stunt or a big fight. Um, we're putting in place exactly the same um, so we're serving the producers, putting in place best practice across the whole of a production. We're serving the director's vision. Um, we're listening to the actors. Um, the fundamental tenets are open communication and transparency, and then putting in place agreement and consent from all involved, and then clear choreography, um, that recognition that just like a stunt or just like a dance, it is a body dance. Mm. You've got two people moving together with touch. It is a body dance. And actually, you need um, a practitioner who has body skills, who has that understanding of choreography and rhythm to be able to choreograph really clearly. And it means that you can serve every detail that the director wants. You're um, honouring the actor's requirements and then the allowing, with that clear choreography, the actor to bring all of their skills as an actor to this character in this moment, in this you know beautiful scene of intimacy, serves the director's vision and lets everybody get create the best work. So what really blows my mind is how new this all is and how rare it is in this industry for someone like you to actually think, actually, hang on, we are filming a really intimate scene here, potentially a very triggering scene here. Who's making sure that these actors feel safe and are okay and feel comfortable? So I know that you started developing this in 2014, but it wasn't until 2018, am I right, that you were actually on set working with other actors. So what was it that kind of prompted you to, to start developing these guidelines? Was it that you had seen so many incidents of actors feeling uncomfortable? Um, no, it was all down to a marvellous lady called Meredith Dufton, who at that time was the head of movement at Mount View, one of the major drama schools in, in um, London. And, you know, we have been in conversation, you know, over the years, and I was telling her about the work that I was doing. And she said, please, will you come? and start teaching the processes that you're developing in your R&D, in your research and development, um, because I've suddenly got all these plays that all of my second years and third years um, all have plays that have intimate content, 
as a head of movement, I have to go and support them and note that content. And if it's not telling the right storytelling, help them to create the intimate content that does tell the right storytelling. And she said, then there was no process by which to do it um, professionally. So she said, please do come in and start teaching what you're developing. And then also one of my um, 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 co-movement um, teachers, a lady called Vanessa Ewan, who's one of the senior lecturers in movement at Central, she had already had the inspiration from watching a fight rehearsal and seeing the time and the space that was given to creating a fight and going, that's the principles that we need for intimacy. So I was looking at how to hold a safe space, what practices and principles to allow my practitioners to be present, centered and grounded in themselves, with each other in the space, that sense of checking in always, so that you know someone's really present and conscious as they go into the work. And then at the end of the day, again, rechecking in and being present and conscious and stepping away from the work really in a healthy way. Mm. And then Vanessa's um, inspiration, particularly the core of, you know, how you choreograph a, a, a fight scene, yeah. you know, like slowly Tai Chiing it really slowly, speaking it so that, you know, parry, parry, thrust, thrust. It's really frustrating to hear that because you think fight scenes must have been choreographed in film and TV for years. Mm -hmm. And it's incredibly I mean, it, it just it annoys me that sex scenes haven't been viewed in the same way when, if anything, it's it's more important because no one's actually necessarily being physically violent, but emotionally and psychologically, the stakes are a lot higher. So why do you think it did take so long for sex scenes to be considered in that way when fight scenes and all those other kind of things had been considered like that for years? So I've got a few reflections as the works develop. So first of all, people are embarrassed to talk about sex. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the bottom line, first of all. So considering the intimate content in a, a script and a play and then talking about it openly when there wasn't a professional process by which to, to, to journey that consideration artistically through to performance wasn't there. So people are embarrassed and directors were embarrassed as much as anybody else. Um, and then that aspect of it's clear that people don't know how to do a waltz or a tango. So of course you need a choreographer to come in and teach those steps and then choreograph it. It's clear that if you want to fight you know, with someone's sword or a fisticuffs, people don't know how to do the techniques to make it you know, um, look, you know, stage combat techniques of making it look real, but it's pretend so that nobody actually gets physically hurt. So of course you're gonna bring in a practitioner. And of course the intention is with your stunt coordinator or your choreographer, that you're gonna either create a brilliant dance or create a brilliant fight. And inherent within that is teaching techniques that brings in safety or with a stunt coordinator, you're gonna bring in you know, crash mats. Um, you know, so if you do a fall, it's all safe. But the focus is on a professional process, a professional practitioner that gives, that has those skills to give you those end results that you want. For me, so so we've, you know, given that people are afraid to talk about intimate content, so it became the elephant in the room that nobody would talk about. And then the, the next thing is that it's clear that a director doesn't necessarily have the skills, you know, to be able to know how to do that themselves, to, to choreograph a fight or a dance. So of course they need that practitioner. But the sense is that we are all sexual beings mm. so we all have sex so therefore why do you need a practitioner and and that's you know again where the sort of that sort of the intimate contents fell between um you know sort of those kind of processes and my awareness is that um actually it is a body dance as much as a tango and then also the idea of the risk assessment so of course you're taking care in a risk assessment of a fight or a dance or someone might twist their ankle or if they're going to jump over a you know, from one um, roof to another that they might fall and, you know, get seriously injured. 
The thing is with intimate content is the injury can be physical, but actually um, more likely than not, if someone's being manhandled or is, um, you know, sort of asked to be naked um, beyond their boundaries, that that injury that someone's feeling that they'll, you know, go away imploding is not just physical, but emotional and psychological. Mm. And for me, that's where you know, a producer, of course, is going to mitigate against possible being sued if someone f physically injures themselves. And while for years and years and years, so many actors would speak about how uncomfortable or awkward or feeling downright abused it was to perform the intimate content. But um, but until finally that tipping point of the um, ladies coming forward around the Weinstein allegations and finally it being taken seriously, finally, as Oprah Winfrey says, you are being listened to and heard. Mm -hmm. And then therefore the fallout, the injury was taken seriously. It was until that was really taken on board by producers and therefore someone could possibly say, you know, I've experienced this, you know, bad behaviour and now there's a fault to be answered mm -hmm. that the industry then really changed. I mean, it's interesting because I think there's been such widely expressed gratitude for what it is that you do. I mean, it was Michaela Cole, wasn't it, who yeah. thanked you in her speech for the BAFTAs. And I can imagine you hear a lot of horror stories from people expressing their gratitude to you, telling you thank you so much because this is what I've been through before, this, this is what it was like before. For those of us outside the industry, you know, we have no real sense of what it was like before, but I can imagine knowing, you know, the stories that we know from Me Too, that there were a lot of, there was a lot of exploitation and probably abuse going on when they were filming these sex scenes without any sort of supervision. Can you give us an idea of what sort of things were happening that now hopefully are not happening thanks to the role of, of people like you? Well, this is it. So first of all, yes, of course, there have been um, people who have taken the opportunity of the intimate content to be abusive or predatory. But actually, a lot of bad practice was just done um, from people, you know, like I say, not having a professional process and just in that void of just not mentioning it. So, you know, so very often if an actor's doing an intimate scene, they'd come on the day, they'd be saying to their wardrobe department, oh, it's the intimate scene today. Nobody's spoken about to them about it. Perhaps that's the first time that they'll see the gamut of intimacy garments that they could possibly wear, you know, the, the modesty garments that they could wear. And they come on set and the director will go, OK, this is what this scene is. Um, this is what we need. OK. And either one or two things would happen. Either you two now, you go away and work it out for yourselves. Or say, great, this is what we want. There you go, up in front of the camera, go for it. And in both of those situations, it's clear, isn't it, that, you, that the actors invariably are wanting to say yes, are wanting to give the best of themselves, are wanting to serve and please the director. Um, but you've got this, this um, halfway house that they're concerned for themselves they're concerned for the other person, you know, where am I going to be touched? Where is it okay for me to touch this other person? How are we actually going to do this, you know? Um, and in that place, that's where you've got, you know, decades and decades of uncomfortable intimate content. The other thing that was inherent in the industry was this idea that if you want actors to look like they've got chemistry, if you've got actors that, to look like they really fancy each other, it has to be real wasn't it? They've got oh, to have wow. chemistry. Yeah. And you have the, you know, the comments like, oh, we've got the sex in tomorrow. You two better go out and have, have dinner today together. Did people really do Making that? Making really seriously. Wow. Absolutely. Or, um, yeah. And um, so this confusion between who somebody is personally and then who somebody is professionally in this character, yeah. serving this character's relationship within this particular story. And, and um, 
yeah, and, and it, even when I started sharing the work, you know, it was a thing. But but if they've got to look like they really fancy each other, then you know, how can that be rehearsed? And it's and it was that this incredible thing of going, you know, this isn't someone's real life. This is this character, and it's these two characters. And when someone's a good actor, they're going to step into that character, and it's this character storyline that they're going to tell. It's this character's intimate expression that they're going to tell, not their own. Um, and of course, that's where there was such confusion. And um, and while I'm not saying that, you know, if you bring in an intimacy coordination, it means that there will never be, you know, a company romance or whatever. But it does, it really does help the actor to separate out who they are and what they really feel from who this character is and what this character really feels. And trusting your actors to bring all of their skills to act this beautiful chemistry. It's so tricky, isn't it? Because it's like, it's, it's about... It sounds like it, it, before it was almost predicated on having no boundaries, mm -hmm. like you said, and blurring the personal and the professional. And not only is that insulting to the actors in terms of their ability to actually perform, yes. but it's also it puts these people in a very strange position. But then on the other side of the coin, you do have all of these instances where actors do hook up on set. Yeah. So it's a very strange thing. But I think obviously in the first instance, professionalism should be the by the book thing that everyone is striving towards. Obviously, well, the, and and this is it, you know, to to be able to continue with the intimate content that you you have your director there, and the directors, you know, you're serving the directors' beats, and um, and then in order to do that, then it's choreographed really clearly, you know, sort of um, um, and that's where you know when you have really good writing. So, Sex Education, mm. um, I remember the scene choreographing the scene in season two with the um, Ola and Otis. When you had the um, you know, the the clock masturbation moment. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So that was a brilliantly written scene, and you've got all these different beats. I think there was at least sixteen beats in that scene, um, and um, and you know, spoke to the director, choreographed it really clearly, um, and then we got it up um, in front of camera, then going through it again, and that's where then see that's what's so lovely is that the bare bones of the structure of the scene and making sure we agree touch, and. Um, and yeah, and then we get the choreography. We had to do the, you know, six, 12, you know, what was it? So 12, three, six, nine, yes. Yeah, so we had all these gays going. Um, but then then each actor can bring their, their artistry. So, you know, then, you know, um, Asa Butterfield then really bringing Otis to the performance of it. And, you know, the way he sort of walked the fingers down that he hadn't necessarily done in rehearsals. Because again, when you've got clear choreography, then there's space within that then for the actor to play. And space within that for the director to note it and go, oh, okay, so perhaps up the humour or up your uncomfortableness. And in that in that scene, we choreographed all of it, and then there was an extra beat where you know a particular reaction goes, oh no, we don't need that. That's one beat too many. Can take that out. So that's what you can do, you know, when you've choreographed it really clearly. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? 
helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So let's talk about the nature of your actual work. When you take on a project, what's, what's the first thing you do? Do you have a sit down with every actor involved? Do you kind of, do you have that chat with what they are and are not comfortable with? Do you talk to people together? And then how does it work in terms of the choreography and, and you know, the rehearsals uh, before filming a sex scene? So, um, so yes, yeah, so the shift is that what we're putting in place is just a professional process, yes? Um, and then, you know, and that's where people say to me sometimes, um, you're there um, to keep everybody safe, right? And it's like, no, you wouldn't say to a stunt coordinator or to a choreographer, you're there just to keep people safe. No, you're there to bring your artistry mm -hmm. and to focus on serving the director's vision and create the best fight, the best dance, yes? And for me, it's exactly the same. So, so just really opening out and going, I'm just bringing a bog standard, professional and open actor-director process to the intimate content, just like you would anything else. So it's asking the director, first of all, to think about the intimate content earlier than they might have done so that they can consider it. And um, so on a production, invariably, perhaps I'll speak to the producer first because I'm fundamentally I'm employed by them. I'll be sent a script, I'll identify the intimate scenes, and then I'll talk to the director. You know, especially in early days, it was a concern that the director would feel that, um, is this new role going to come in and take over? Or does it show a lack of trust of myself with my actors? And of course, I'm going, no, absolutely not. You wouldn't say that because you're bringing in a stunt coordinator, it means suddenly the actors don't trust you. It's like, no, you know, that person's bringing in skills. Mm -hmm. That's the same here. So first off, listening to the director. What do you want for this scene? What's your image about it? What's your camera angles that you've thought about? Have you got um, a storyboard? Always, you know, that drawing, drawing out of a storyboard, brilliant. Invariably, you know, by the time you get to the intimate content, that free song, that comes to touch, it's a body dance. So again, we want, you know, it's, it's a visual thing. It's a physical thing. Um, so if you can do storyboards, great. So once you've checked out with the director, then you're checking out with the actors. Or I always say to the director, you speak to the actors first. So everybody knows that the vision's coming from the director. Once that's signed off, I'll speak with the actors going, great, you know what the director wants. What are your requirements regarding nudity, about where you're comfortable to be touched, about around what you're happy to perform simulated sexual content wise. Sometimes that means I'll share that back with the director, go, okay, so you want a moment where the dress just opens and, the, and drops and you want the full back nakedness. So this actor is happy to have naked back down to the small of her back. She's happy for you to film from the mid thigh down. So let's look at how we're gonna choreograph that so you get the infants of you know that the, um here and just dropping perhaps you open and it drops so you so you, the camera's to the small of the back and then perhaps it goes to a close-up of the, the man who's observing this and then come back to seeing the dress dropping to the floor there's so many ways you know that you can tell the same physical story the same intimate story the same degree of, of nakedness that an audience will get the storytelling but doing it in ways that will honor and serve the actor's requirements so that's part of the process going to wardrobe checking with wardrobe again a big part of intimate content is then the modesty garments so the, the actor is always as covered as possible 
um, checking in with makeup if that's needed, perhaps here's a period piece, they want a sense of nudity, but someone's got a whole load of very modern tattoos over them, so we'll check in with them, checking in with the first AD to make sure, or co-work with the first AD to make sure that a closed set is running really well and really respectfully. So that's all the check-ins. Um, and that's the open communication and transparency. And um, I always say to people, people say to me, so how does it go the day on set? And I say the day on set is, is now the tip of the iceberg. When you've done all of that work, that's where then the day on set can run smoothly. And will you have physical rehearsals yeah. with actors yeah, yeah, yeah. for a so second? That's the other thing that was a biggie in the industry when I started saying, OK, we need time to rehearse this intimate scene. And um, and I would have like the first AD going to me, oh, you're can, we can never make time to rehearse a sex scene. While on that very call sheet on that very day, you've got actors finished their scene and stunt rehearsal. You know, so again, it was early days. It was flipping people's minds to going, um, of course, you're going to rehearse a stunt scene because, of course, you know that you want it all choreographed so you can be efficient and quick. So when you get up on set, you know, everybody knows what they're doing. Yeah, it's so interesting what you said about um, it coming from people feeling embarrassed about sex, mm. because I think it's obviously that. And it's also just this degree of shame that people have attached to sex and sexuality. And it's it's unbelievable to think that that's impacting people's safety yes. at work, which is obviously what it is in this context. And you know, it's so brilliant that we have the system in place now and the guidelines that you have issued that are now being used widely across the industry, aren't they? Um, tell me a bit more about the kind of the nitty gritty of it, because I'm really interested by the modesty garments. What what do those actually look like? And also the the different like props that people might use in a sex scene to, to simulate sex and intimacy. Like I know that Jonathan Bailey and Bridgerton spoke about using a deflated netball yeah. and those kind of things. Where to start? Um, okay, so let's start rehearsals. Mm. So invariably in rehearsals, we want to definitely, you know, keep everybody feeling really comfortable and really safe. So, um, so yes, so that's one technique is have a deflated um, balloon or de deflated, um, yeah, sort of yoga um, ball or something like that. Um, I haven't actually used that particular technique. Each, each um, intimacy coordinator is developing their own ways. I sort of started working with, um, you know, the um, perhaps flesh-coloured pair of pants, and then I bought some lamb's wool and stuffed it with, um, you know, lamb's wool and sewed it up. So basically, creating genitalia cushions, right? So you can nice. put them between people, um, and um, yes, and then gradually develop different shapes depending on the intimate content. So I've got one if someone's sitting having sex at a stride, someone. So we've got one that's um, sat astride that people started calling the banana. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, yeah, so, so I've got a whole gamut of different cushions, which I now bring along. And then so also sort of very often to, to put those cushions, particularly if if that, you know, if um, say the camera's doing shooting from um, upper body up, but you've got that sense of intercourse and they, the actors can put the cushions sort of, you know, perhaps they'll wear flesh coloured shorts and then they'll put the big cushions inside that. So this gives you an, an extra layer. And so they can really, um, you know, bring each other's bodies in towards each other, have that really close contact, but they're really, you know, protected and their, their, their actual bodies aren't touching. That can allow an actor to feel a lot more comfortable and then that that journey um, of rhythm go through the two bodies but, and also sort of as a, as a movement practitioner um, so, so if if you're under the covers or if you've got clothes on so another one that's, that those kind of um, techniques are good for is like period 
um, um, costume period pieces where you've got the big skirts. Again, mm. you can very clearly have your fresh coloured shorts and your big cushions in there. Yeah. Um, and um, but if there's you know they're above the sheets and there's a, um, a degree of nakedness, then obviously those cushions are going to be seen. So then we bring in techniques of looking at anchoring. Um, so I'm looking at sort of anchoring sort of side of thighs into thighs and and um and having the energy moving in there so really pulling thigh into hip or thigh into thigh so okay. that a rhythm will journey through both bodies so that they have a rhythm together um and so it reads from the side of the camera but if you brought your camera around the other side you could see that the genitalia are you know nowhere near each other right okay. so just as you would do it's just the same kind of thing with the punch you know at the right camera angle the punch you know looks like it's landing and of course it's all sold on the person who's receiving the punch but um yeah um because it's so interesting because like you said you would never because when you watch these sex scenes on screen particularly the ones in normal people that i know you worked on you, you you can't imagine how they're doing that and not actually touching each other and um it's 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 so interesting how long does it take to film a sex scene and how many times typically would an actor have to go over it again and again or is that just the same as any normal scene it's, it is the same as any normal scene um so so first of all the other thing i want to to add in that's really important is that um very often when you're shooting a scene the director will start with a wide shot first and then do the tooth shot and then do the close-up mm. but actually what you want is for the actor to feel really comfortable and if you start with your wide shot and it's this intimate scene where you want the infants that are both completely naked it means that they're in the least amount of genitalia um, um right. modesty garments i always say don't do that start with your two shot or your close-up so they can have um, you know, the, as many of the modesty garments as on as you can. So we're always looking at sort of the least is, um, you know, for um, someone with the vagina is just a genitalia patch, which is basically like a G-string without the side. So it sticks above here. Really? Oh, wow. And sticks into the small of the back or between the buttocks. For those with the penis, um, we have the genitalia pouch and then the hebu over the top. So again, it's the same sort of thing. So they're the genitalia are held in and yeah. then the Hebrew holds it close to the body. And that's a brilliant technique because it allows the actor to move really freely. And then the next layer up is a flesh colored dance belt for the gentleman, flesh colored G-string, um, you know, for those with a vagina and then flesh colored pants and then flesh colored shorts. I like flesh colored shorts, you know, because then um, if someone, you know, sort of is performing a sex scene and they've got sort of legs entwined, then the flesh colored shorts are really great. Mm. And then, of course, um, if you don't want your nipples to be seen, you've got nipple daisies, which are nipple covers, and then flesh-coloured bras or bandana bras, flesh-coloured camisole tops. So we're always looking at having the actor as covered as possible. And then gradually, you know, as you pull out, then say, OK, you're happy now to take your, um, you know, camisole top off. And then only finally, you know, to, to come down to the least amount. And what that means is that by then, the rhythm of the scenes no and you know they've they've done it loads of times the um the director's been able to bring in loads of notes they've been able to find their flow and their freedom within the choreography and then by the time you get to the wide shot you've got a really beautiful stunning scene as you can see in normal people yeah and how much do you encourage the two actors involved to kind of have a conversation beforehand obviously not go out and get drunk together so that it looks like you fancy each other but you know obviously to have those conversations how much do you facilitate that before a scene like is it part of your process to tell people I want you two to spend some time together just to talk about what you so, are not comfortable with so, so for me it is bringing the bog standard actor director process and it all always comes from script right. so it's about you know you know the 
say the process on set is or in a rehearsal you start from reading the script as you do with any scene and then at that point I'm just being present and you're listening to the director saying what they want the actors offering their thoughts who these characters are why that scene's there what's it telling us about the moment so you're facilitating all of this juicy gorgeous um, creative um, professional um, conversation so that everybody's journeying through to gradually find um, the sort of shape of the scene from that conversation. Now, how often does it happen? <laughs> you can probably tell I'm going to ask you yeah. you're smiling. Um, that one of the actors you're working with does take it a little bit too seriously and gets a little bit too excited <laughs> on camera. And how do you how do you deal with that? And yeah, what happens? Because I I imagine the best thing to do is just say it's normal and this is part That's of right. what happens. But how often does that happen? I'm curious <laughs> to know. And, and yes, tell me more about how you deal with that. Bodily functions, isn't it? Yeah. Um, natural and normal. So those with wombs and vaginas, menstruation, natural and normal part of our lives. Um, so I open up that conversation. I say to producers, find out the menstrual cycle of your um, actors and actresses um, and um, try and encourage, uh, try and schedule the intimate scenes when they're not menstruating. Oh, wow, that's a really good idea. It makes such a difference yeah. if you're, you know, full on. Can you imagine start stomach cramps? And, yeah, yeah, and yeah. If you're, particularly if you're in um, first or second day in a really heavy flow, having to navigate tampons, pads, ugh, just up the ante. Yeah. So, so that's not good. And what was really lovely, I was on a production that... Um, that, um, that I've set up, but as yet I haven't had a chance to be present and I've just taken over as the intimacy coordinator and I met with one of the actors and, they, and she said that the producers had asked her what her menstrual cycle is. Wow. Like, so there's that aspect. And again, it's making it open and it's natural and normal. And yes, um, my little spiel is, you know, particularly if you've choreographed a full-on, you know, um, intercourse scene from kissing through to you know, arousal, into penetration, into rhythm, to orgasm. <clears throat> it's natural and it's normal. Two bodies moving together to possibly become aroused. Mm. However, it's not suitable to have an erection in the workplace. <laughs> I love the way you said that. <laughs> Quite right. No, it is not. <laughs> um, so, so we put in place a timeout. And that's for any reason whatsoever, you know, so it's really important to put in place a timeout. So the actors have the autonomy to halt the action for whatever reason, and that's in rehearsal and in performance, be it um, in front of camera and in theatre. But I'll, I'll, I can talk about that one in a minute. Um, so, um, so, yeah, so you can put in, you can call timeout for any reason. Your nipple daisy might be falling off or you desperately need to go to the loo or you've become aroused. And then actors say to me, oh, I'll be so embarrassed. I'm going, look. There's so many reasons that you can call a timeout. You can feel if you're becoming aroused. You don't wait until it becomes obvious. Just call a timeout. There's no questions asked. It's completely respected. We call a halt. We take a break. Go and refresh and come back. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, tell me about the theatre now, because obviously that's a very different ball game to filming, because you can't really stop and start as quickly, and the stakes are almost high. Even though I imagine in the theatre, maybe it's easier because you're seeing people from further away, you don't have those, those close shots necessarily. So in terms of modesty garments, maybe that's a little bit easier. Um, the difference is, or the different concerns with theatre. So whereas in filming, you know, you've got the, where's the camera going to be? Mm. In theatre, it's what, where are the sight lines? You know, what's going to be seen and who can be seen where? Um, 
And, um, and very often in theatre, of course, you might abstract something. You might not perhaps do a full on, you know, intimate scene. You might perhaps go into slow motion or you might have people behind a screen and do it in silhouette. You know, so obviously in theatre, there's different theatrical and artistic ways that you might depict an intimate scene. Um, but it's still really important that you have the autonomy to hold the action. Um, and this, you know, for me, the journey of realising this and then gradually putting in place a time out for theatre has been a really interesting journey. The fact that, um, you know, certainly when I was, you know, in my years of performance, I remember having a full on flu when I was in sort of um, Panto at the Dominion Theatre, you know, was horrendous, you know, fluey sweat, you know, dosing myself up and just you go on stage and you just perform because there's no question that you wouldn't, would, could miss the performance. The idea of Dr. Theatre and that sense of as an actor, you would overstep your own boundaries because that's just what's been asked of you. You're sure up, put up, put on, you know, get on with it and you just do whatever's asked of you. And, um, and for me with this work, it's gradually flipping it and going, no, this is someone's workplace and it is someone's day of work. And we should be putting in place bog standard HR processes as we would do if we were in an office. Um, so anyway, so so on stage again, it's like, well, how do you put in place a timeout? So so you know, and um, is it suitable to perhaps halt a performance because you're not feeling comfortable? Um, so there are several ways that you can put in place a timeout. So one, you can have like a safe word that's just between you and your partner that you'd say under your breath that they know that you might mean that you just pause with the intimate content. Or you could just literally stand back so you're out of arm's reach, could continue the dialogue, you know, and it's obvious that something's happened that's not right. Or if it's really what's needed, you just walk off stage. Um, there was um, um, a case in um, um, a performer in the Rocky Horror Show um, who was playing Frankenfurter, um, and there's a moment where there's an intimate scene with the character playing Janet, and there was choreographed, um, you know, moment for this. But in the flow of the theatre performance, he did not abide to that choreography and actually touched her genital area. Oh, wow. And um, his defence was that um, he was in character. And that's what his character would do. This is the thing, isn't it? Because this is what I imagine happened a lot on set and actors would use that that's right. as an excuse for predatory behaviour. That's right, you know, and, and, and that you know, actor endured it. Um, and then, you know, it came to court. Um, and my, I'm saying to, to, you know, an audience would far rather know that the actors have the autonomy to hold the action rather than them knowing that they were actually in an audience and being party to witnessing an assault. Would you not agree? Yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. and um, yeah, so, so yes, if something's happening that is, uh, is assaulting you or is beyond your boundaries, just, you know, if, you know, like I say, there's those different things you can do or you just walk off stage, go to the stage manager, halt the show. You, if you can reset and then carry on or curtain comes down and and again you know with this with the opening out of these conversations and the understanding of me too and everything i really do you know it's, it is really interesting when i first say that how do you put a time out in theater people are going you can see the schism of like well those two things just don't equate but actually they do and again if you know that you can um you know sort of be you know be respected be autonomous um, again an actor can be way freer yeah because I think what's also interesting about that is yes an actor would <clears throat> an actor who was a perpetrator would, would legitimize it to themselves they think you know I was just in character but then the victim of that assault 
would probably do the same and internalize it and That's think right. because I mean you do that with with sexual assault anyway but particularly if you are filming something or performing something and someone does that to you you would probably talk yourself out of speaking up about it because you would think well you know they were just they were just doing their part and you know it's on me for not getting as into the role as they were like that internal dialogue is so is so tricky but also I can imagine why that happens and how how often did this kind of thing happen, do you think, before? Oh, do you know what? Sadly, you know, from all the workshops that I've done, um, I always start with asking people to speak about when it's been done well and when it hasn't been done well. And I promise you nearly everybody has a story of it being awkward or harassing or abusive. And they say, they have to say, I can't even think of a time that it's been done well. God. Yeah. God, it's, it's awful. And I mean, this brings me on to the next thing I wanted to talk to you about, because you worked on one of my favourite shows, I May Destroy You, which I just thought was so brilliant. Incredible, isn't it? It was absolutely incredible. But one of those, so, you know, it's one thing to coordinate a sex scene. It's another to coordinate a sexual assault. Mm. And, you know, in that kind of instance, the stakes are obviously incredibly high and, and people might get triggered by certain things. How do you handle something like that from a choreography point of view and from a safety point of view psychologically? So, um, first of all, from pure choreography, when it's, um, you know, a sexual assault, invariably you're looking at some degree of aggression. So I either, you know, I have, you know, I've done my stage combat, um, but, um, by, but I will co-work, you know, with a stunt coordinator and will put in place, you know, really clear choreography that uses reverse energy. So, you know, so if it's someone holding someone down with their arm then we'll be looking at the person holding we'll just create the frame and the person who's being held will hold will they'll be the one that control they'll be pushing into them so they just create a resistance you know so i've had this where you know someone had to grab someone by the arm so you're saying that you just care and you create the frame with your arms and you hold that and this person that's being held that controls pushing into the arms so so um but then when you get into the flow of the energy of the perpetration of the victim it's actually got that reverse psychology or that reverse energy so that keeps everybody safe and keeps the person who's playing the victim in control of the energy. But that takes quite a bit more rehearsal. Yeah, so you really anchor. So just really, um, really anchoring in the choreography and, um, you know, slowing it down as you do with stage combat, you know, taking slow-mo so that you walk it through again, walking it through, saying in words, you know, so, um, you know, I turn to face you. I, I put my hand on the back of your neck, I take your arm, I um, kneel onto the bed, I place you down onto the bed, you know, so, so, that it's, so that it's slow motion, you're doing the physical choreography, saying in words, so that you're really connecting consciously what you're physically doing, you know, with, um, you know, with your presence. Um, so, that, so you're doing that. Um, and, then, um, and then just acknowledging that, sort of acknowledging then the emotional and psychological journey of it, um, invariably keeping it, the choreography really clean without any emotion at all, so that then you say that the, you know, the, the full on quality of the perpetration of the victims to the performance. And then, yes, um, whenever there's, there's subject matters that are challenging, I will always say that I, um, you know, I can facilitate and, and hold to a certain point and I can perhaps recognise if someone is being activated or triggered, but I don't have those skills of a counsellor. Um, so I'm, I, since 2015, I've co-worked with an artist wellbeing practitioner called Lou Platt, um, but there are more artist wellbeing practitioners now in the industry. Um, and I will, you know, say that sort of I 
that is, she's part of my team, part of what I offer for me being a robust practitioner um, to co-work with me and to offer that to a production and um, yeah, and that if anybody is triggered or activated, that that is the person that I will refer them on to or find out if that production has got their own um, counsellor in place. Really important. Yeah, really important because you just think how psychologically challenging that must be to film a scene like that, um, you know, regardless of whether you're a sexual assault survivor or not, you know, it, it would just be an incredibly difficult thing to go through. That, that's right and right from my when I was doing my R&D um, research and development I did two rounds of it and um, in exploring the dynamic of the perpetration of the victim and I had the very first day and we were just dealing with catcalling on the street and the first day we were all talking about when we've you know received a wolf whistle or had someone call mm. out to us and all of us were very comfortable in you know honing in on our different stories and then you know you know um, we got up and then found a physical score that, that um, depicted that the following day, then I looked at when we were, we were all perhaps the moment that we were the perpetrator who had taken or overstepped someone's boundaries. And wow, that was a, a tricky day. Yeah, and so it's right from then that I realised, wow, for a performer to step into that place, to ex investigate themselves or to open up a place in themselves that they can draw on in order to play the perpetrator takes as much, if not more care than the person playing the victim. It's so interesting because I think all of this work that you're doing is not only obviously improving the actor's safety and and you know how comfortable everyone is on set but i think it's also informing the the work and the writing that we're getting because yeah. we are getting so much more nuanced portrayals of sex and relationships on screen but also of sexual assault because i know you know previously there's been so many really damaging portrayals of rape on screen that are very much the stereotypical stranger being dragged into an alley which is you know like one percent of sure. cases and i think we are getting to a place where what we're seeing on screen is actually being really helpful and really beneficial and really educational. I, I have been completely bowled over, you know, in, in those um, 2018, 2019, just head down, you know, trying to put in place this process. Um, <clears throat> it really was baptism of fire and, you know, sort of trying to put in place a process, knowing how to talk to a producer or the director, when, how to put in place rehearsals, you know, the different language to that supports the producer to that that the director wants to hear, to that of the actor um, and the crew as well. This is the crew's workplace. Mm. So from that just bog standard head down, mm. just putting in place the process, opening it out to being professional, choreographing it really clearly. Then as those productions started to go out and then the impact of that. So, for example, the, the incredible positive impact of normal people mm. um, and particularly episode um, top of episode two, where it's. You know, um, you know, so, so, you know, the character of Marianne opening up to her sexual awakening, but being able to ask for protection, to ask for consent, to, mm. for consent to being offered, and to being offered in a beautiful way that stayed with the juiciness of the loving, you know, but the, you know that dialogue and that continuous consent being offered and invited, um, and then the impact that that's had, you know. So I've had secondary schools and, you know, um, contacted me saying we are now using that scene as part of our sex education wow. in school. I know this is it. And then people like from I May Destroy You, people from the queer male black community contacting me saying, thank you for being seen and heard. People from the queer community, queer lesbian community mm. with Gentleman Jack saying, thank you at last, other than the fact that Saran James's nails were too long, um, you know, interpret content that really yeah. told our story. Um, and um, 
So I was bowled over by that and then realising the, the, the responsibility and then the possibility of that, mm. you know, that actually we can go further with that. We can go further with getting the detail right and inviting more detail. So there's been a script in recently um, where one of the main characters is a trans character and one of the first big sex scenes within the, um, the episode that I've read is this amazing, beautiful, full-on sex scene with a, um, someone from the trans community so important and again let's get this detail right so that you know we're you know we're helping you know our humanity and our audiences out there to really see themselves and feel validated and respected but this is again it just makes me think why did why is it taking so long for this to exist that stuff is so important that could have a lasting impact on that person it's just it's so so vital i'm so pleased that it it does exist now but it do you think it's because of me too that now this has become a mainstream, is becoming more and more mainstream on sets. Do you think if it wasn't for Me Too, we, we wouldn't quite be there yet? Yes. So, so fundamentally, when I started sharing this work, you know, that the, the, the basic narrative that I was offering, which was sort of a, a flip to the, the, the received, you know, narrative around intimate scenes, which was, you're an actor. Mm. You know, you know that sex and nudity and intimate content is part of your job. So if you're an actor, that's what you should, you know, expect to do. Um, and then it, that sense of, as an actor, if you ever said no, you were considered a troublemaker um, or a diva, and you certainly would be concerned that if you kicked up that kind of fuss or called your boundaries in any way, that, um, that you'd lose your job. And that was the case. Um, and that sense of, you know, sort of, um, that, well, just because the structure wasn't there to be professional. Mm. Um, and as I started developing the work and sharing it with um, the students in, in drama school, you know, and they would say to me, how can I, straight out of drama school, be, you know, having these conversations? And I was saying, you flip the narrative. Mm. You know, it's saying, I, as an artist, want to give you, as a director, the best of my skills, the best of my intimate content, serving the storytelling, mm. And the way that I can do that is by working professionally through a professional process, such as the intimacy onset guidelines. Mm -hmm. um, and, 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 um, and so you're offering, you're having an artistic conversation with your director. And if you can hear that your director has no process and no safe rehearsal, pro, um, rehearsal structure or indeed any intention to rehearse at all, then you're offering the director a solution and offering them the best of yourself, not a problem. Mm -hmm. so, so that was the beginning of it, sort of beginning to flip to flip the the dynamic and helping the um, um, you know sort of the actor to, to 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 give you know an empowered conversation rather than feeling you're going along with going oh I don't want to be naked you know so that it's turning upside down and actually um, you know and that's why also I've changed the word to rather than setting my boundaries it's like what are your requirements mm. what are your requirements regarding your nakedness your simulated sexual content and where you're comfortable to be touched yes what do you require and then we will honour your requirements. And then if, if um, you know, you know, and then we can work creatively, um, you know, working with camera angles, working with choreography mm -hmm. to tell the same physical storytelling, but using, you know, perhaps different camera angles, different choreography um, so that serves the director's vision, serves your requirements and still creates intimate content that's, mm. that's needed. I mean, quite frankly, we should be having those conversations when we're not acting as well <laughs> about, about what, what are you not OK with? Um, 
God, I could talk to you for hours, um, but it's time for our lessons in love segment. So this is the part of the show where I ask every guest to share something that they've learned about relationships. But I think from you, I'd love to hear about what you have learned in your role, just about intimacy in general. And, and I guess to my point earlier about how we can carry the things that you do in your job into our real yeah. sex lives. Um, especially as a menopausal woman, sort of just that question of, of our intimacy and our journey through, you know, to that intimate content and um, and making time and space for it. And that also sort of came in really around lockdown with COVID, when suddenly our home space was everything, wasn't it? It was our place where we were intimate, the place where we, you know, sort of try to engage with our kids, the place that we, where we were working. And, um, and, and so for me, you know that that's been the fundamental journey of um of of just as we're asking you know to make time and space to consider this to give it time and space you know to consider it to talk about it rehearse it so not that you're necessarily going to rehearse but just but just um putting in place a structure of boundaries mm. um and um and and then that was the the thing with the council as well is sort of like intimacy doesn't necessarily mean that it's you know gonna it has to get physical intimacy is actually and allowing yourself to push everything else aside and giving yourself time and space to be present you know with your loved ones um, and and for me also that wasn't that's not just with my life partner but also with my kids you know sort of like my my daughter would um you know would would say to me sort of you're here but you're not here because you're now allowed your work to just leak into everything, you know. So again, creating boundaries during those lockdown periods where, where you go, okay, this is my time of work, and now let's put that aside and actually, you know, honour that boundary of spending time, say, with my daughter going down the bottom of the garden, having a cup of tea with her, or spending time. So, and that, and for me, that's a biggie, is actually understanding that putting boundaries in place mm. is actually honouring myself and honouring the people that you love. Yeah, absolutely. Gosh, thank you so much, Ita. It's been such a pleasure to no. talk to you. And thank you so much for listening. If you have enjoyed this episode of Millennial Love, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Acast, Spotify, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. You can also now watch us too, if you would rather do that. We are on The Independent TV on the website. And please do subscribe and like and share and do all of those things so that more people can find us. And we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.